Welcome to another episode of the Ask a Chair podcast series from Rams. My name is Hamza Ejaz, and today I have the pleasure of introducing Dr. David Sieberg, who is a department chair at SUMA Health. Thanks for joining us. Well, thank you. Appreciate being here. Most definitely. So can you actually tell us a little bit about the beginning? How did you first become interested in emergency medicine? Well, you got to remember back when I trained, you know, this, the emergency medicine just became a specialty in 1979. It was our first board exam. So I went into medical school in 82. It was brand new. Not many people knew about it. I had been an EMT, though, in college, and so that had led me to at least think about that. Although I thought I was going to go into pediatrics. I did a research fellowship through my third and fourth year of medical school. But the more I thought about emergency medicine, the more it appealed to me back in those days. It was a young specialty. I was, I liked a challenge. I liked the ability that the research career was pretty wide open at that point. There was going to be leadership opportunities at a young age, and it, it just really appealed to me. Plus, the, the ability to use your wide range of knowledge uh, and skills. It's it's a specialty that really spoke to me. I'm really glad I went into emergency medicine. I still think it's a great specialty today. Yeah. I mean, a lot of that stuff that you mentioned about the early on, right? So you were there since almost the beginning of the specialty. How has that changed over your career so far? I mean, like, you know, obviously there's been significant advances as well in our scope of practice has evolved, but what are some of the biggest highlights that you've noticed in terms of where you first started and then where we are today now? Well, I think it's become much more recognized specialty. Actually, when I was training, it wasn't, they didn't have a, a big mentorship in the faculty for people to go into emergency medicine. I mean, I happened to train at the University of Minnesota and Hennepin was one of the larger programs. So I did get some great advice from Louis Ling and others. But, you know, I think that's one of the biggest changes that we've become a very recognized specialty. We've now made major inroads, not only in, in our advocacy efforts, but we're recognized as the front line of medical care. We are the largest portal now into the hospital for admissions. We've parlayed all of that into some huge successes, both legislatively, payment-wise, and frankly, in growth of our specialty. So that's actually very interesting. And I understand that you've been involved with starting a bunch of uh, residencies across the country. Um, So while you've had those experiences, what were some of the challenges of the initial starting phases of these residencies? Sure. Well, I've helped develop six or seven residency programs in my career. Nobody truly starts. It's always a team effort. I think in the early days, there was a real need for emergency medicine programs. In 1986, there was 49 residency programs. In, in my medical school class of the seven that wanted to go into emergency medicine, only two of us got in on the initial match. So it's always been a competitive specialty, but we've had to, we, we built it over the years. And there's a, a lot of reasons why there's expansion of emergency medicine. Number one, there was a need. Two, there's also the CMS guidelines for funding residency programs have changed and that sort of had a, a skewed vision in the last 10 years and that, you know, the workforce report maybe shows there's, there's possibly too many programs. I'm not convinced that that's the case. I think, you know, there's still going to be a lot of, a lot of great careers out there for our, our residents. You know, but in starting up a program, you really have to evaluate the setting you're in. So 
You've got to have the resources from your hospital and your health system and your medical school to set up that residency program. It's not just the resident numbers, but it's really having the faculty development plans, the scholarly activity, because really a residency is not necessarily, starting a residency is not really about getting the residents, it's about really developing the faculty, having the correct mentors there, and being able to have faculty development plans that allow not only for the growth of that faculty, but the growth of the residents, and that they've got ample time to help mentor those residents and grow them into becoming board-certified emergency physicians. Okay. Yeah, that's a very interesting spin on this. And then in terms of some of those challenges in terms of either recruiting the faculty or the mentorship, as you, you know, have helped uh, develop six or seven programs, what are some of those challenges that you have experienced? Like what were some of the particular difficult times that you had noticed that either through recruiting a faculty or another instance perhaps? Yeah, I think depending on your area, sometimes recruiting is a real challenge. Uh, you know, I've been blessed in that I've had a long career. Uh, you know, I served as president of ASAP. I've been a dean of a medical school. So I'm able to get some of those resources that maybe some other sites may have challenges with, but it's really about developing a great faculty. And what I've learned over the years now is that and we heard this from this morning's talk and the, the keynote talk here at this conference. It's hiring for the people you want to have there, not what they're going to necessarily become. But we, we come in with an ideal team player culture. And if you don't fit that ideal team player culture, we don't hire you. And I think that's been part of the success. But really early on, it's making sure that you get the resources, so the protected time, the milieu, so you can actually train residents, and then bringing on that faculty. And, and again, I've been blessed in that you know, we, in my current role at SUMA, we've got three faculty that have been around a long time and they can help mentor the younger faculty. And we're developing a succession plan over you know, five or seven years. And I think every program needs to think about doing that. Uh, it can be challenging, particularly in certain geographic areas, but getting the support of the hospital and really having an ideal culture that you're gonna develop faculty and then the residents into is critical. Okay, thank you. You had also talked about, very briefly, the ASAP workforce report in terms of the findings and some of the facts that you that you believe that you know maybe will hold out for the future. So I do want to get your take on that in terms of the ASAP workforce report and for the listeners, essentially, and, and grandly, you know, simplifying, oversimplifying, simplifying uh, the findings were there's going to be a roughly 10,000 extra physicians, emergency physicians particularly, by 2030. But I want to get your take, Dr. Seabrook, on this. Yeah, I think there's a lot of assumptions that had to be made in that study, and, and I think they did the best they could. And, and I think there is concern that there could be too many physicians by 2030. I don't think we're seeing that right now. We're not seeing any of our residents. I work for USQ Care Solutions, which has 9 million visits, over 300 hospitals. We run nine emergency medicine residency programs and 11 fellowships. And we still have open positions. A lot of facilities are having open positions. The, the study was sort of being done during COVID. And I think some of the assumptions may be wrong, but I, I do think we need to, to plan for a couple of things. One, in terms of our residency, as I alluded in my earlier answers, that the fact is you have to 
really develop the faculty. You have to have faculty development. And I think we should be looking at our residency programs, not in terms of the residents they're training, but the faculty they're developing, because that leads everything. That will lead a successful residency program. It will lead for your faculty to be successful. So are our residency programs currently out there getting enough resources from their hospital? Do they have faculty development plans? Are they getting biannual written evaluations? Is somebody holding them accountable for their scholarly activity and their the way they're training residents? I think that's the first thing we need to look at. I also think the the workforce, and even when I was president of ASEP over 10 years ago, we have to start looking. We're not just acute care anymore. Emergency medicine really should not just be acute care. We should be looking at integrated acute care with our hospital service and CDUs. I think we're going to have to get into the post-acute care business. And what I'm trying, you know, the, the future of hospitals is going to be virtual. It's going to be hospital at home, virtual care. And there's nobody better to lead that than emergency medicine. Because again, we have 130, 140 million patients coming to the emergency department. We could be the, the gatekeeper controller of who gets admitted to the hospital, who can go into a hospital at home. And so I think there's a lot of opportunity for the future of emergency physicians and emergency medicine. And we're working uh, with that at, at uh, SUMA Health. And I think other groups are as well. And I think there's still a very bright opportunity for emergency physicians. Yeah, I think, you know, as much as it entails to expand the scope of practice within your clinical practice that has happened over the last 30, 40 years in specialty, also expanding that outside of the emergency department as you're talk, you know, talking about as well. It's going to be interesting to see how that plays out over the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years and where we go from there. I agree. And, and geriatrics is going to be another area. The population is aging. A lot of our emergency departments are getting the geriatric certification. But how to take care of those patients effectively, cost effectively, in a, in a humane way. So a lot of it's end of life care. And I think we need to take a lead in that as well. Most definitely. And I appreciate the fact that you were mentioning that the residency programs aren't just about the residents. It starts at the faculty level so that they can then train the residents themselves. And if they don't have those good mentorship, which you had mentioned as well earlier as well, if they don't have that proper, appropriate mentorship from the faculty members who then can pass it down to the residents, it's going to be hard to make a successful resident or appropriately trained or qualified I agree. It's not even it's not just the mentorship, but it's being a role model for clinical care, professional behavior, and again, having a positive attitude that we can work this out together and looking for innovative ways for the future. Yeah. I do want to pivot a little bit. You mentioned that you've previously served as the ASAP president. You've been involved with various leadership positions within academic emergency medicine, as well as U.S. acute care solutions as well. And I want to talk about what are some of the leadership skills that are required to be a, not a just a quote-unquote good leader, but what makes a leader truly a leader? Well, I think starting with the, the culture you know, having a positive attitude, they are what we call the ideal team player that, you know, we've defined that as engaged, respectful and resilient in our group. And um, it's viewing things positively. It's always trying to find solutions, which emergency physicians are great at. Always having a positive attitude, trying to find solutions and looking for ways to grow our specialty. And so I always tell my younger faculty, if you want to get involved, just show up. 
because eventually if you're competent, you're going to get into grow in leadership positions because you just showed up and people want you to do things. But you got to have that, that willingness and you've got to find those areas that are interesting to you. I think finding a mentor is, is very helpful. Like I said, at, at our institutions, we're already doing succession planning. We're already developing you know, leadership tracks within our faculty. We even have leadership tracks within our residency. And they pick a leadership track, which may be EMS, it may be ultrasound, it may be uh, management, it may be quality. So they get some extra skills that may help them in their future career, make them more desirable as a candidate when they get hired. And again, to advance their interests in their career. Everybody, you know, money's not the motivation. It's, it's you know, finding meaning in your work is really the key. And, and I think that's that's the key to having a great faculty, a great culture, and instilling that in your residents moving forward. Yeah, really appreciate you sharing those thoughts. I think this is a great next question for you since you are you know, involved with use acute care solutions and then also with Zoom Health as well. In terms of when you're hiring new faculty or res- when you're hiring residents out of, res- you know, first year out of residency, the, the qualities you will look for, I, at least from my conversations that I've had previously with other chairs, has been it did, some of them overlap with community versus academic, you know, institution where you're going to be getting hired. Uh, so I was wondering if you can kind of help explain some of those things that you will look for if you're hiring in a community location versus at an academic location. So our, our community sites, we really look at fit. And, and again, the ideal team player, somebody who's positive, somebody who's going to be respectful, somebody who's going to be resilient. Uh, that is the key. Um, you can always teach them the medicine, but... You know, it's much harder to teach the attitude that you want to be a team player, that you're going to treat people with compassion and respect. So that's the first thing we look for, whether it's academic or community, how they fit and and will they be a good fit and a positive influence in our group. I think for academics, you often hire for certain areas that you need, whether it's ultrasound or you need somebody to work with resident research uh, or you need somebody with a quality experience. There are roles that need to be filled in each residency program, and you try to look for that. Sometimes you can develop that, but it, it certainly helps with somebody coming in with that experience and interest, and, and it's less work to get them to where they need to be. Okay. And then on the flip side of that, so what advice, let's see, you know, I'll be looking for a resident, or I'll be looking for a fellowship potentially or a job out of residency in about you know, the next coming months, you know? So for the residents who are then starting the job hunt for their first job, so what advice would you provide to those residents who are then getting ready to look for either their first fellowship opportunity or their first job out of residency, community or academic, what have you, but what is kind of the advice you would provide to them? Get some experience in an area that you're interested in. I mean, if you want to work in a community setting, then go out to the community and, and do some shifts out there. Ask if you can you know, rotate out there. If you're interested in ultrasound or administration or pediatrics, you should be working on to see if that's really your fit. Not only doing clinical experience, but talking to people in the field. Find a mentor, whether your institution has it. Certainly SAAM, AACEM, all, ASAP, all of them have mentors and they're more than willing to share uh, with you. So I think, you know, trying to distinguish yourself is always important. Having that, again, a great attitude coming in that you're going to be a really vital, you know, role player 
um, whether it's just a community job or you're looking for a fellowship or a place, I think you've tried to get, you need to get that experience, you need to get that mentor and work on finding out more about that. I will say there are some markets, the community markets are getting a little more crowded right now. It doesn't, you know, some of the big cities like Denver and maybe some others where you, it, it's a little bit harder. I wouldn't be discouraged. Maybe you take a part-time there. You work, you do some part-time shifts. Ultimately, there will be a spot that opens. You just might have to be a little bit more patient. But again, having a great attitude that you're going to come in and, and be positive and be a positive energy within that group goes a huge way. Perfect. I think that's great advice for the faculty, for their new fellows, for the graduating residents. Really appreciate you sharing your thoughts uh, and your wisdom as well. I think that's about all the time we've got for our uh, interview today. So, Dr. Seabrook, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for uh, the listeners as well for everything that you do. Uh, once again, thank you. Thank you.